Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Estás escuchando Échale Podcast, a podcast where we embrace our Latinidad. The good, the bad, the ugly. You love English? Te encanta el español? Well, we got a whole lot of Spanglish. A storytelling podcast. And like my mom used to say, Échale, mijo, que tú puedes. Ladies and gentlemen, bienvenidos a otro capítulo de Echale eh, Podcast. And I should say, ladies and gentlemen, and they, I want to be very inclusive and this is going to be very interesting. And please correct me because that's the only way I'll learn. But today I'm so excited that we're going to have Jose Richard Aviles, o sea, el tocayo. Can, how, eh, eh, tocayo, how would I tocalle, 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 okay, tocalle, uh, with us on Echele Podcast, porque quiero saber un poquito de tu vida, cómo creciste, qué hiciste en tu juventud para poder lograr ser la persona que eres. Bienvenido, tocalle. Qué fuerte. Buenos días a todas, todas y todes. Les traímos un poco de desmadre al podcast. I love it. I love it. No, entre más desmadre, mejor. Claro que sí. Ah, cuéntame, cuéntame, Tocalle. Cuando estabas chiquito, chiquite, ¿cómo eres? Sí. ¿Cómo eras? Yo digo que siempre fue una persona muy este, creativa, muy, muy este, alineada con mi imaginación. Me acuerdo muy bien en la primaria que tenía un amigo, una amigue, que, bueno, no sé dónde andará este en estos días, pero se sabe que en ese momento desde que éramos jotías ahí las dos. <risa> Pero siempre como que imaginábamos nuestros juegos de anime que, y siempre peleábamos de quién va a ser Sailor Moon. No manches. Y yo digo que siempre fui una persona así, también fui una persona, este... ¿Y a quién le tocaba ser Sailor Moon y si no? Obvio a mí, chica, <risa> obvio a mí. Que se sabe que siempre yo, yo nací para ser diva. Uh -huh. Este, pero también te digo que fue una persona con mucha empatía. Me acuerdo muy bien una, una, una anécdota de cuando tenía... Siete años, porque fue en el, en el 96 y yo nací en el 91. Ah, no, pues cinco. Ah, ¿Y este... ¿Tú en el 91? Sí, Same sí. Ah, somos, de, somos señoras de tercer piso, <risa> 31. Ay, qué fuerte. Este, pero me acuerdo muy bien que en ese entonces estaba pasando el, el niño en Sudamérica y me acuerdo que yo lloraba, lloraba viendo las noticias. Y mi mamá decía, ¿qué tienes? Y yo, mamá, es que la gente está sufriendo el dolor. Y mi mamá me decía de que ya no más a ver las noticias. Esto a ti no te funciona y pues digo que eso fue la raíz o una de las raíces y razones por las cuales ahora soy trabajador social, pero siempre desde, desde niñe pues siempre he estado así también siempre me encantó este bailar. Yo digo que yo aprendí a bailar antes de que aprendí a caminar um, y me acuerdo muy bien que estaba una vez este, porque mi mamá trabajaba entonces entre, en que entre lo que yo salía de la escuela y ella llegaba que siempre comían como dos horas y este una vez me encontró como en el piso ahí haciendo no sé qué 
pendejadas ah. este mamá ¿qué haces? y yo bailando y claro estaba estaba tocando que en paz descanse aunque no se nos haya ido todavía Shakira todavía sigue ah, en este ay, mundo no. pero old school Shakira no hay como pies descalzos sueños blancos just, yeah, no, that's the, that's the Shakira you. that I mourn that's I, the one that I'm like she taught me how to be a poet <laughs> I mean honestly honestly and I, you know not to throw bash on her with the new song that apparently it's for Pique that Te Felicito with Raúl Alejandro which is a great song claro. I mean it's a good song but it's not como tú bien dices no. pies descalzos no es pies descalzos sueños blancos antología I exactly. mean donde están los ladrones se quiere se mata I mean ah. she she to me she she passed on the when when she crossed over to English wow. I mourn so, I mourn so, an old so, school so, Shakira Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think I was okay with Hipstone Line. It was like, okay, cool. She's doing this with White Clef, and it was so big. And uh -huh. then she came out with some other stuff, and like, Waka Waka, what the hell was she doing? That's like a national, well, worldwide hymn. <laughs> That should be like in the Bible of music, the waka waka. But how do you go from like hella compound and complex metaphors to waka waka? That, that's true. Or, or la 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 or whatever the things they really, all of the things that she does and her dance moves have been the same since 2009 mm, she always she does the same thing her dance moves. not that I think she's she just no caught up Beyonce, and, even though they did a music video together. right Beautiful Liar was the <laughs> shit Beautiful Liar Shakira Shakira I, I loved it when I saw it I was like My jaw dropped because yes. obviously I knew Shakira and I was like, this is uh, as a young boy, this is a lot more sexualized if you think about right. it. So you're just like hormones. You're like, whoa. And then you see Beyonce, then you see two women. And uh, obviously as a straight man, you're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Shakira and her hips. And, yeah. I mean, I'm like, what? I'm like, what? Chayanne really? este, Chayanne was my Vamos first crush de, de, de Qué de fuertes I think a lot of them I mean Es que bueno Ahora que me acuerdo I'm so happy That some of my Big crushes Were like Morenazos <laughs> De novelas Like Fernando Columna say, este, eres, eres novelero Novelere Sí Crecí viendo novelas Which Se sabe Because I Mire Yo soy novelero De hueso colorado Y me la sé de todas And it was funny Because uh, When I was growing up And I would tell my Male friends Like oye la novela So I identified Sometimes more With my Female friends They were like Oh, you're gay. And I'm like, Pussy, el que me las enseñó es mi papá. That's <laughs> like, so funny. Like, that's who would sit down and watch the novelas. Porque claro. él llegaba de la, del trabajo and he would say, watch the noticias de las seis de la noche. Y de las seis de la noche hasta las diez de la noche, pues echaba viendo la tele. So claro. we would sweet and bond. Claro. But, adelante. Este, was like, well, shout out to, to your friend, because I'm a fangirl. <laughs> este, soñadoras. Oh, oh. my God. <laughs> I <laughs> was <laughs> like, yes, we love. Angelica Vale it's like I know when I see, when every time I see that you're with her I was like oh my god I want to be friends I oh want what she, she just literally left <laughs> que fuerte sí, 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 sí. este no pero soñadoras I was talking to a friend about this that I feel like that's ahí fue donde aprendimos lo que era SIDA lo que era yes. el VIH este Con sex work ajá uh -huh, este what was sex work um, drogas tachas <laughs> and so I think definitely soñadoras Amigas y rivales, right este locura de amor, 
clase 406. Um, I didn't really see that one, pero conozco a los actores. Claro. Obviamente, like, I'm like, ok, los ubico. Aaron Díaz, sí. Ponchorrero, Dulce María. Claro. Eh, y Cristian Chávez, the main ones that I can think of. Claro, y pues hablando de ellos también, este RBD, se sabe. That's the one. Se sabe. That's the novela that I was just like, I'm leaving to Mexico. Sí. I want to go to El Sea and be with oh, right, people. Right. <laughs> and I want to be in a novela juvenil, but exactly. being broke. Latino, sure. they were like, the fuck? Right. I, I feel like everyone, the señoras in the house, están de, solo quédate en silencio. We're the señoras now. Yeah, I know. That's the part. That's the part. Sí, señoras. Somos señoras. Todas ya somos señoras. I love it. January 5th. I'm a Capricorn. Oh, Capricorn, Libra. Mm -hmm. so I just turned oh, 31. Okay. I just turned 31. Shit, I'm like, I'm getting close to 32 now. <laughs> uh, no, hey, we're getting better like wine, you know? Fine like wine as the years go by. But you were talking about uh, these uh, morenazos that mm. captivated your childhood. You mentioned Fernando Colunga. You mentioned, I, I think... Chayanne. Chayanne. Is sí. there any other... Este latine que te alborotó y tú dijiste this is where I this is where I pick up my dance this is what I want to imitate this because now you have mm. uh, Monday move, movimiento movement Mondays Monday de movimiento uh -huh. sí you know I mean I don't know I think my relationship to dance is interesting because I feel like I, at least in Latin culture no and 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 how I grew up seeing someone and again I identify as non-binary um and I use they them pronouns but I also was raised by the patriarchy right I might have felt that masculinity by being more afeminada pero I was still raised by it and I think in Latinx culture to see a a, a boy move his hips is not seen as sort of queerness per se. You're just a good dancer. Yes, porque la banda es así. Claro. It's a lot of hip work. And I claro. love dancing banda, especially oh, el duranguense. Duranguense, super, claro. Super hippie. Sí. <laughs> well, I, well, the funny thing is that, so I grew up um, identifying as a putaco. Mita pupusa, mita taco, pero siempre puta. <laughs> And so I'm half Salvadorian, half Mexican, no? oh, la pupusa y el taco. Uh -huh. And so I was raised more Salvadoreño. So I grew up listening to cumbias, wow. merengues, bachatas. I didn't listen to a lot of regional Mexican music. Mm. I did hear some of it in some bandas and, of course, some of your rancheras and, mm. you know, your juangas, your chentes, just as they transcended across the diaspora. Uh, pero yo crecí bailando más cumbia, merengue, salsa, bachata. Entonces, como que en esos y obvio punta. Uh, shout out to all the catrachos out there. Um, y so I think for me, especially those dances are very much like very hip centered and very much about movement of the hips. Mm -hmm. And so I think growing up, it was kind of like um, my dad used to think that dance was my way to get a girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you're a good dancer. Like, Las niñas oh, van a querer bailar contigo. Right, exactly. Y yo de que, okay. Y I was like, nomás aquí con mi comadre y moviendo uh -huh. el esqueleto. No, it wasn't, yeah. you know, I didn't think about it in that way. I came out in too many quinceañeras. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like you came out like. No, 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 no. I was no. like, wow. Look no. at you happy. Like, that is such a deal. Yeah, <laughs> for real. I came out like, at the quinceañeras. Like, excuse me, I'm coming out. No, no, no. Uh -huh. Pero salí en muchas quinceañeras. I literally feel like my mom was like. <laughs> 
selling me as a chambelan because uh-huh. people always wanted me to be the chambelan. A chambelan in a meeting, in a quinceañera, my bad, in a meeting. Ay, tío, se sabe que es entre semana y una trabajando. Este, <laughs> yeah, I always came out in quinceañeras. And so when I then transitioned into being a dancer, a dance major in undergrad, um, I now say that my studio, my training were quinceañeras and social dancing. Like I didn't grow up. Did taking... you ever choreograph a quinceañera or was that always you? Because, you know, that tends to ha- happen when it's like the best dancer. You're just like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Yeah. Aquí esto. No. Yeah, I don't think I ever choreographed quinceañeras. And then the funny thing is when I did my BA in dance, I was like, maybe this is the only thing I'm going to end up doing. But no, I never choreographed quinceañeras, but I think I definitely was like the choreographer's assistant and wow. being like, oh, así se hace. Así no. Así. <laughs> el pa- con, el pa- con el pie de izquierdo, no el derecho. You know, things like that. I definitely was like correcting people because I was like, you know how to dance. <laughs> um, but no, I don't think I ever choreographed quinceañeras. I don't think I've ever choreographed quinceañeras now, even then. But like, I mean, I'm always down I'm like you know it's fun yeah yeah and when you think about it I mean it was training like you know rehearsals and the you had your tech and they used to go to the church and used to go to you know the the, the entrada and the baile sorpresa yeah. the having to go get rent a tux like it was all a performance and so to me now I, I, I credit quinceañera as, as like my training as a dancer that's beautiful now uh, talk to me about this uh, um, lifestyle of dance because you said that your dad basically uh, alluded to you getting a girlfriend or wanted you mm-hmm. to continue with dance because that's the, was your way or he thought of getting a girl that was at home how mm-hmm. was that at school how was that viewed upon <laughs> un hombre un, que baila si sí. You know what? I mean, we were joking about this the other day. I recently went to a friend's birthday party and it was like the music was all <clears throat> from the 90s and early 2000s. And I was like, dude, why does this feel like a middle school dance at the gym, though? <laughs> <laughs> Especially because I was with a lot of my friends that I grew up with. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, our middle school dances were always fun. It was always about fucking let's get out on the dance floor and just have a good time. Um, And so I don't think necessarily it was seen. Well, maybe before it was called twerking. I think we just called it booty popping. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. and grinding and stuff. And so... Um, I don't think necessarily I felt any time othered uh, around my sexuality around dance, pero también al mismo tiempo. Um, and shout out to all the people that were born and raised in LA because I definitely snuck out in high school what? and used to go to Tiger Heat and the arena. You don't know about Tiger I Heat? I grew up in the Inland Empire. What's oh, Tiger that's Heat? true. That's true. So Tiger Heat, <laughs> I feel like people at home are like, oh my God, Tiger Heat. But Tiger Heat, um, I don't know if it still happens today, but it used to be at a club called the arena Mm -hmm. on santa monica and las palmas and right next to it was this club called circus and the tiger why is this like like just i feel like it's about to go very sexual it was, well, I mean, I don't know. Tiger Heat, un gato en, en I think, sí, 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 en, calenta, en calentura. calentura. There you go. Este, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't remember that much. I mean, I was doing some stuff though. <laughs> Pero it's because back in the day, it was an all ages club, uh-huh. and so they only used to basically card if all you were twenty one and if you were going to drink. Ah. And so todos nos metíamos like at 15, 16 in the non-drinking line. Y ahí nos metíamos. And we used to sneak out. And on the bus, 
on the bus. I was like, please tell me it wasn't the school bus. No. <laughs> it was a metro. <laughs> it was metro. I grew up on the bus. I mean, that was like my Tiempo de Callejera, uh-huh. always on the bus. And so we used to, I used to sneak out sometimes in me But the thing is, at that time, it's like, you know, that was the behavior that boys would do. Como faltar el respeto a tus sí, papás. Sí, sí, sí. Este andar de rebelde. And again, I say that I was raised by the patriarchy because it wasn't seen down upon me to be like, you know, when my sister got older, she wasn't able to sneak out. And she hardly rode the bus. I mean, she did, but not as much as I did. So I definitely know that I was raised by the patriarchy in that sense by giving the privilege to just go up and down the bus. Question, who was... Who has the pantalones in your house? Your mom or your papa? Oh, qué fuerte. And, and, the, and, I'll, and I'll answer why. Because right now you say you're raised by the patriarchy, pero primero contesta la pregunta. Or do you feel like it's 50-50? Mm, no, I think it's my father ah. uh, because of machismo, for sure. And being right now, I think, in our lives. Pues ahora, I think we split it up between me, my mom, and my dad. Okay. And then a little bit less my mom, again, because of the patriarchy. But I advocate a lot more for my mom. Mm. So my mom is like my girl, my ride or die. Yeah, I love yeah. my mother. I, I make the I make now the comment and the realization that I am my mother's fantasy. That I'm living the life that I think my mom would wish she would have had. Um, and so now um, I feel like recently I've been able to. Mm, how do I put it? Oh, I feel like now I've been able to get to know my mother and I now understand the trauma that raised me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as I get to know that, right, that it's like, beautiful. yeah, and as I get to learn a little bit about that, it's like, okay, let me let me also provide some healing and just be in relationship with my mother. And our healing is now communal and together and how... Um, one of the things that I've had to unpack in recent years has been that I'm always really quick to share abundance with everyone else but my family mm-hmm. and having to grapple with the fact that I now have more privilege than my family and that doesn't sit well with my spirit all the time because I'm a firm believer in leveraging power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now, actually, I'm going to post a little something later today about how <sighs> I feel like I've now had to heal my inner child and expedite that process a little bit Um not only for my own healing, but I have to heal my inner child to show up as a healthy and emotionally intelligent adult in my family. Because mm-hmm. now there's three adults, right? It's like my parents, I'm the oldest of four. Yeah. Um, and I mean, my sister is also an adult, I'm not saying that she's not an adult, but I also know that, that I have... There's a burden with the eldest child. Or yes. there is a sense of burden yes. that uh, we ourselves place because I am also the oldest in my family. Oh my God. So you have, it's like nobody gives you that title and nobody's putting that title. Well, right. on my end, nobody's putting that title but myself or that right. burden because I feel like I don't want that generational trauma to continue and I want to exactly. heal the wounds of my parents. And I don't want to give that responsibility to my brothers, not because they can't handle it, because I feel like I. Sh- it should end with me and right. they should be happy and learn. I don't know. It's also some fucking no, shit right. in my head. No, for sure. <laughs> I, I have a poem for you and for all the eldest child children out there. Um, yeah. Do, you know, interesting that you bring that up as well, because I also think that one of the things that I've had to realize también has been like reconciling with the fact that I didn't like I didn't choose the people, you know, my family mm. and they're the family that I have now. And I also have to reconcile with the fact that I don't have any control about the people they will become. And so having to be like, damn, you're my siblings. Yes. And then there's a part about you oh, that I'm yeah, like, damn yeah. it. Oh my God. Okay. 
you're like hitting in because because i'm over here sometimes questioning like we're raised by the same two people right. how are you so different or how are you i don't want to even call it a fuck up how are you like Como te estás tropezando tantas veces and we're ayudándote but you still don't get it like how are we even related how do you not have the same grit that i have yeah. like we literally went through the same experiences to a certain extent obviously there's years apart right but like I'm giving you so much love and attention, and yet you're still, yeah. Just es que se pasan de verga a veces. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, so all of those different things, but I don't even know what we're talking about. No, anymore. so I was asking Sorry. you, like, who quien tiene los pantalones en ah, la casa. Ah, sí, 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 sí. Because you said you were raised by the patriarchy, and hence why you, este, como decimos en México, puede estar del tingue al tango, uh, like de arriba claro. y abajo. In my case, I was la que tiene hasta el momento los pantalones es mi madre. Like she's literally runs that house, hace lo que se diga, and desde que yo puedo acordar. Well, actually, no, I I don't really have much recollection of my childhood in the sense um, because there was a lot of fighting between my parents because my dad did cheat on my mom. And I think that is a very machista thing. Right. So I don't know in this entonces quien tenía el poder, but since that moment, my mom has done healing in her own way, which is the physical way. So obviously I grew up with just seeing this femme fatale and then um, poniéndose los pantalones para, you know, to, to be the matriarch of the family and not to let it stumble and, and crumble, basically. Mm -hmm. So... When I was growing up and as a teenager, if I wanted to sneak out of the house, I always had the fear of my mom in the back of my head. Like, yeah. fuck, me va a meter una pinche putiza. And y ella no era de jalar las greñas, era de, all right. Like, she, she just gave you that look and she just said, te vas a aguantar. Yeah. And like, just so calmly. And you knew the worst beating of your life was coming. <laughs> so then I always had that in the back of my head. Claro. So it, I didn't start becoming, I guess, more. Re I was rebellious. Que era contestón. Hence why I love talking and working radio. Yeah. Um, but I started becoming more rebellious once I left the house for college. Mm. That's when I was like, oh, my God, there is no parents and you learn to grow up yeah. obviously so i i find that very interesting that you said like oh yeah and see there is those those differences between men and women in terms of like oye te van a dejar más eh, you know using public transportation ir a la calle o al tiger heat a las 12 de la noche I will always had my mom in the back of my head. Yeah. I mean, and interestingly enough, and I think the reason even then uh, about the patriarchy, I think, you know, and it's hella real, the patriarchy also affects women and femme bodies. And mm. a lot of the times mothers uphold the patriarchy too, yes. right? Like, de que besirvele a tu, a tu pareja, right? If you're a woman. Or, for example, um, there was this moment where I think I came out to my mom... In 2008, when Obama got elected on election night, because it was like, <laughs> I mean, sort of, because also at that time, Proposition 8 passed in California. And so Proposition 8 was an amendment to the California Constitution that defined marriage between a man and a woman. This is back in 2008. And I think at that time I had done some organizing. I've been organizing since I was 15. You were like um, in high school still. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, sí, en la política. My mom used to call me la política. It's because I always had this mentality that I felt like the people and like the people who threw homophobic remarks at me, not only young folks and, and, and other youth like myself, but also adults. I always was kind of like, there has to be something bigger. There has to be something 
something that is enabling people to act in this way. And I think mm. with it, at that age, <clears throat> I didn't know what I was talking about was like systemic oppression. And so I just found myself in different spaces. I remember in 10th grade taking uh, one of my history teachers um, really talked about like social movements and mm-hmm. and would give us extra credit if we went to a protest. And so I was like, wow. oh, let me go to a protest. Awesome. I remember a day without a Mexican back in 2006, you know, the big when a lot of the immigration reform from 2005 and six were, were, were happening at the time. I walked out and, and all of a sudden it was like, I'm surrounded by all these young people. We got on the freeway <laughs> on the 110 with people from manual arts high school shout out to the toilers even though i didn't go to manual um but i i feel like it was in that moment where i discovered and everyone chanting together that people that i didn't know something was unifying us you know something for this call to action something about our claim to liberation was uniting us and something about that i mean also protesting felt very much like a performance and chanting and yeah. and all that and then i started organizing with the bus riders union here in la Sindicato Pasajeros. Um, shout out to my homegirls, este Esperanza Martinez, Carla Gonzalez, Patrice Colors. These are the queer women, queer women of color who radicalized me when I was wow. like 15. Um, and that's where I learned everything I know about community organizing, everything I learned about urban planning. Many years later, I became a planner. But so everything I know comes from that moment. And mm. so my mom used to call me La Politica and all that stuff. Um, but I was getting to, sorry, I went on a little tangent. No este, my mom. Um, one time, and this is me being older now, I was in grad school. Um, I had a partner at the time, um, and my mom, and I, again, at this point, I had come out to my mom already. It came out at 18, so I must have been like 25 or 26. And <laughs> I'm like 25, 26, that's so far away now. Uh-huh. Um, but we were talking, and I was telling her I was going to go. To, I went to live in Germany for a summer, and I was telling my mom, I'm like, I'm leaving to Germany. And she was like, oh, but what is, you know, fulano going to think? Did you did you oh. tell them? Are you gonna ask for permission? And I was like, ask for permission? What, <laughs> girl? You dumb? No. And while I realized that in my queer politic and in my feminist politic, like my mom assuming that I, as a feminine body, had to ask for permission of this other person, this other partner, was like, mom, that's kind of kind of sexist, you yeah. know. But I did realize that that was the first time that my mother acknowledged me as a femme body. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was like, oh. You're not like the man in the relationship because you're more femme per se. So while it's a little bit fucked up in some ways, it's also very progressive because my mother saw me as a femme Was it comforting for you? Um, and to some extent, yeah, and and it, and and she does the little things like this. For example, I again, I, I go back. I use they them pronouns, and I don't necessarily like. I have an interesting relationship with cancel culture, and my mom still calls me son and uses he him pronouns, but I don't go to my mom and be like you're misgendering. Yes, like no, I know the relationship that I have with my mother and my she mom. She means well, of course. exactly, and 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 she and she still parents a queer child without even knowing it. Mm. For example, she went to go get a bunch of little face mask the other day and she saved all the flowery ones for me (laughs) and i was like she's so dumb and she doesn't and she doesn't call people queer or gay she calls like queer people happy because we're just happy (laughs) happy happy happy. (laughs) (laughs) happiness in the sense that they're living their truth and so many people have been uh, oppressed and feel this fear of coming out. Right, no, uh, 100%. Whatnot. 
I want to take it back to your moments uh, of homophobic remarks in in school because I feel like though we identify uh, with different sexualities, like you being queer and me being straight, I still receive those because of the noveleros or because the way that I walked. And so I want to know how you dealt with those uh, as identifying as queer because you probably were yeah. more of like the well. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm assuming, like, well, fuck you. I'm going to mobilize, do my own thing. Whereas in my case, I was triggered by that. Right. Like, you're labeling something that I'm not. Yeah, I think I had moments. Um, There were some moments where I think when I was younger, maybe around middle school, elementary school. Um, but again, I think for me, the first instance that I remember, so I came out in the third grade. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And it was because it was such an innocent logic and I still love the logic, but I'm left-handed. Uh-huh. And so for me, it was like, okay, most people are right-handed and some of us, some of us are blessed by being left-handed, but at the end of the day, we all write. And so to me, it was like, okay, most boys like girls, but some of us, some of us are blessed by liking boys, but we're uh-huh. all boys at the end of the day. Right. In that moment where I was living sort of in a of binary course life and so for me i thought that being left-handed was like being queer was like being left-handed mm. o sea, did you associate de... with everybody left-handed at the third grade i think so probably <laughs> probably but also people need to know about poder prieto a couple you know years ago during pandemic the the moment i, I kind of became aware of the noche huerta and his work was Poder Prieto, yeah, they're super dope. It's a um, sort of like an anti-colorism campaign that came out of Mexico. And Dinoch speaks out a lot about anti-racism work in Mexico. Um, and I consume a lot more content from Mexico than I do from the U.S. Um, and so that's where I first heard him speak on a panel. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, amazing. So now it's super dope to see him on on. Uh, as Neymar and in, in Black Panther, but also Mabel Cadena. Mabel Cadena also is casted as Neymora. Yeah. And she deserves a lot more exposure Credit. than mm-hmm. she's getting because she came out in a movie called El Baile de los Cuarenta, you know? I uh, loved it. I love I El Baile de los Cuarenta, okay, you know? Okay, so tell me why, like, all, all that interests, interests me, fascinated me, porque yo no sabía de esa cultura. Oye, ya llegaste a los cuarenta, you know? And... I didn't realize it until I went back to Mexico and one of my uncles yeah. turned 41 and people started telling him all this other stuff. So I started researching. Right. And then when I came over back to the U.S., I told Angelica, I was like, Angelica, did you know about this? And she started giving me the whole history. And then weeks I later, Alfonso Herrera came claro. out and said, I'm doing this uh, Netflix show called El Baile Los 41. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a movie. Para los que no sepan, a little bit of queer history mexicana. Hola, ¿qué tal? Te saluda José Quintero de Échale Podcast. Y te quiero contar que este episodio de Échale es presentado por McDonald's. El McRib ha vuelto, pero está en su tour de despedida. Y como una buena banda musical que se despide y se despide, no sabemos si en verdad se va a despedir. Es momento de celebrar este sándwich icónico, desde su sabrosa salsa barbecue hasta sus pepinillos. No te olvides de agregar servilletas cuando te comas tu último McRib, ya sea para limpiarte las lágrimas o la salsita barbecue. Disfruta cada bocado salsocito como si fuera tu último McRib. 
McRib. El tour de despedida del McRib está pasando en McDonald's y definitivamente no te quieres perder de esto. Yo sé que ahí voy a estar disfrutando de mi último McRib. ¿Qué esperas? Ve por el tuyo hoy mismo. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Ser diagnosticado con diabetes lo cambia todo. No solo cómo te alimentas, también cómo vives tu vida. Y siento que Walgreens realmente lo entiende. Desde mi farmacéutica Sofía tan amable y lista para ayudar, hasta los recursos expertos y ayuda con mis medicamentos. Esto no sería fácil sin su apoyo. Ahora mi diabetes no me controla. La controlo yo. Si necesitas hablar sobre la diabetes, Walgreens está aquí. Maneja tu diabetes hoy en walgreens.com diagonal diabetes. Hola, ¿qué tal? Te saluda José Quintero y espero que estés disfrutando de este capítulo de Echale Parques. Pero vamos a platicar de un tema que te va a encantar. Porque si eres padre de familia, si eres estudiante o si eres maestro o maestra, pon mucha atención. Porque te quiero contar sobre la beca nacional de hacer de McDonald's. Desde 1985, McDonald's ha otorgado más de 33 millones de dólares en becas. Y esta vez no va a ser la excepción porque este año McDonald's está dando 500 mil dólares en becas y puedes ganarte una beca de hasta 100 mil dólares pero ahora más que nunca ayudar a estudiantes hispanos a ser más que las generaciones anteriores a ser más de lo que creían ser capaz y a ser más de lo que pensaban que era posible por sí mismos por su gente por su cultura y por un mejor futuro para más información sobre la beca nacional hacer de McDonald's Visita mcdonalds.com diagonal hacer. Aprende más porque puedes ganar una de 30 becas. Uh, back in the early 1900s, and this is a lot of the time during the colonial period in mm. Mexico, este, pues había una cultura that a lot of folks and a lot of the bourgeois um, men, the DL men, used mm. to get together and throw these parties. And so one night, what happens, there's a raid that happens, and there's 42 men that are arrested. But only 41 are recorded. And the reason why is is because the 40 the 40 person number 42 era el nuero del presidente mm -hmm. que estaba casado con su hijo estaba obviamente. casado con su hija y en la en la película de los 41 la hija el papel de la hija lo hace Mabel Cadena and she does an amazing job mm -hmm. and at that time she was also the daughter um she was the mestiza right she was like a sp her spanish side coming from her dad's side and she also was an indigenous she had an indigenous mother so era la más morena de her siblings so already there was a lot of scandal that she was you know the president's daughter so the issues of colorism the issues of queerness and all that so El Baile de los 41 is is a dope movie that's on Netflix that talks about that conversation to me um I don't even know how we got here anymore. Also, homophobia. Uh, I was like, espérate. Because we can go so many ways, no, so no, many no. places. Somos platicadores. I love that. Se sabe. Y venimos a educar. Hey. A informar y al desmadre también. Toca calle, get Toca it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> este, pues I think in middle school at that time, I was a monaguillo. No I was mames. a monaguillo. Yeah, for a couple of years. There's this little poem that, that I'll share with you. Super short. Dice, mi primera pasarela fue la iglesia. Fue en la iglesia que descubrí el amor. <laughs> Sus ojos eran girasoles en búsqueda del sol y yo era el sol. Y claro, ellos adoraban a, a Jesús, su Dios, pero en ese momento yo era el Mesías. <laughs> And I could imagine you, though, going down the red carpet right that's there. That's what I'm con, saying. Con el palillo. Con la cruz. Con o la sea, cruz. porque me decían de que I'm like, you're telling me that I get to wear this bata that looks like a dress. Uh -huh. I get to lead the congregation by carrying la cruz. And, And everyone's watching at me. 
oh hell and yes. everybody has to stand up and everybody has to stand up did you give go, your best strut oh hell yes <laughs> i was like it very much reminds me of that scene if you've seen la serie veneno no uh, it's haven't. a super super dope series on hbo max este pero la veneno también in her childhood was a, was like a monaguillo and she cut up her little bata to be a little bomb ass dress and it's strutty and i was like dude that was me <laughs> But in addition to all that, kind of going back to the topic of homophobia, for me, it was like this this was my moment to repent, mm. right? Like so much of that was inculcado in my mind that it was like, me al infierno yeah. por haber nacido the way that I was. And I remember praying and being like, <gasps> quítame esto, quítame yeah. esto. Or, or como que ya no quiero manester mañana. So I, had, I think there were moments that I had like suicidal ideation. Oh, wow. trigger warning. Um, trigger warning, oh. Este, so I think a little bit of that was around middle school Um, and then still having to figure out, I remember in the early 2000s, there was a bus driver strike, um, and I had to take the bus to school. So I had to walk like three miles to and back from school, like in the, in middle school. And I just remember hearing all the homophobic slurs and all those things. I go back to what I mentioned earlier that I think it was that experience that made it seem like, you know, they tell us to run to adults if you feel unsafe, but it's the same adults who are making me feel unsafe. So how do you navigate and mitigate that? So I think for me, middle school was a little bit darker. Mm. Then in high school, I get involved with the Bus Riders Union. I meet other super dope, progressive, radical people who at that time I didn't know they were queer. Wow. Um, and it wasn't only until I got older yeah. that I was like, wait what and and then now i think about it like what an honor and blessing to have been raised by queer women of color like you know super amazing super dope and i met other high school students i was organizing back at the time with an organization called gsa network they're still around and we did a lot of like youth organizing for um Mm -hmm. lgbt rights around southern california so I was involved in like our youth council. I was a trainer. So it was an opportunity to meet other queer people. Um, yeah. And because we were from all over Southern California, they weren't necessarily at my school per se. So it was like, let me survive school. And then on the weekends, I'm training other young people. I'm meeting other queer Look people. We're you. talking about GSAs, right? Gay Straight Alliances, as they were called at the time. Um, I founded the first Gay Straight Alliance at my high school. Um, so I was doing a lot of organizing. And I think that it was that that common cause for liberation that common um you know out on the streets it's like we were all kin you know Mm -hmm. and so i feel like those were the moments that allowed me to really be my full self while also navigating what it was like to be from south central and even then i mean i feel like even to this day i there's always that little bit of fear Mm -hmm. about what's going to happen to my body and to my safety you know i I, to be honest with you i never thought i would make it to 31 wow um i i just didn't see all the uh, activity well um oh my god out of marching that you've done that you just don't know who's going to show up that part but also i think i had not met any queer adults in my life yet Mm. and again i was raised and radicalized by queer women uh but i didn't to me i think it was at that time i had a very narrow perception of what queerness looks like and of course now i mean to me my queerness is the only constant thing in my life and it's changed so many Mm. times um so i love that about about you know my journey but i think at the time i had a very narrow mind of what queerness looked like i think i was very homonormative in the sense that i thought i was looking for gayness so mas hombres afeminados Mm -hmm. as opposed to like femmes and and non-binary and trans bodies and so i think that at that time I hadn't met any 
gay adults to be real and and what i perceived to be gayness at the time so i didn't know if i would make it to be an adult Mm -hmm. and then looking at like homophobia and violence and 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 the constant violence that even that trans women are put through today that non-binary bodies are put through today like it's there's still a lot of work that needs to be done right like the the work for queer liberation didn't end at marriage equality Mm -hmm. fuck marriage like it's another institution that makes no sense in my opinion um and so i think i just didn't think i was going to make it to to become an adult as a queer body and now i'm like oh (laughs) <laughs> I'm here Third I, floor Right right, right. Like, I have to go I have to look back I have to send the elevator down For other yeah. people You know So yeah. I think it was a lot of that So I had um, Kind of similar to you When you're talking about reb- Being a rebel in undergrad I ran away from home uh, I tried And I made it to the corner And then I came back <laughs> Shut up see, I, I feared my mom Yeah you know what I knew that I couldn't, because I went to undergrad in Minnesota. Oh. So you can imagine, like, what it was like from, like, South Central to, like, I went to a Norwegian Lutheran college <sighs> called St. Olaf. Shout out to St. Olaf um, out in Minnesota. Este, but I knew that I wouldn't be able to get on the plane if my mom dropped me off at the airport. Mm. And so I left my mom, me despedí de mi mamá en la casa. And I left and then I had like an activist training with with my queer community, my chosen family at the time. And they knew that I was literally leaving to college at the end of this training. And it was and I still remember this. It was like a bunch of my chosen family and other young people that we were organizing with that dropped me off at the airport to send me off to college because I knew I wouldn't get on the plane if I saw my mother like like you came out at three years old i'm assuming that the patriarchy your father didn't you take much notice of that you came out to your mom at 18 at what age did you come out to your father so actually i didn't come out at three years old in third grade third grade like third grade third grade grade. grade. that's just uh, i was like three i was like damn (laughs) no it was in the third grade i came out my mom 18 you know to my father i don't think i ever came out to him and i don't think i've ever had but we've had moments and relationships again where i think about mm, i'm gonna go another tangent but i think with with my dad, so here's the thing. So my dad um, is also my stepfather. Mm. Um, he, but he's been my father figure since I was two. So that's the only father yeah. figure that I know. But because of that, my father would always be like, "Pues, pues él no es mi hijo," and so I got away with a lot of shit, right? Uh, because yeah. él no me regañaba. Because no era mi, no era su hijo. But my, he would that say was those my, words. Oh, very much so. Wow, um, as and, a child, that I would assume that hurt. Uh, very much so, and I still hold it against them. You're like, I, that's he, the only father figure that I know, and, right, and you're I'm already, your child. yeah, yeah, exactly. Me away. And 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 so and throughout the years, so I was like, well, fuck you too, then. Yeah, I'm okay, do me. I'll do and, and a lot of it was like, así como te vas te vienes. So it was like a lot of like, si te vas en el vas te vienes en el vas. And so that was his way. Maybe I think now as I'm trying to understand again, like I mentioned earlier, get to know your parents and you know the trauma they raised you. I think that, that was his very fucked up way of trying to like masculate me, you know, or to mm. make me more masculine. Because it's, in the bus, you might get into problems, might get jumped and you might have to fend for yourself. Exactly. 
huh. right? As violence being associated to masculinity. And so, you know, luckily I have always been protected. Um, I'm grateful to my spirits and my ancestors can make them because I've never, yes, I know. I've I never, I've never been a victim of a hate crime. Um, and so I'm super grateful for that. So I think as I got older, my parents wanted me to like, you know, the immigrant mentality, mm. right? Like go get an education. You're the savior, the burden that is placed, especially on the You're oldest. You're the messiah for the family. You're the messiah for the family. Exactly. And so I think, you know, that was kind of the intention. I had my ups and downs. I think like we all do. Then when I went to graduate, at school I still won't for, remember forget this my dad me corrido la casa wow. when I came back f- from New York no where was I Wisconsin something but there was a period where I was like trying to go into grad school and trying to figure it out and my dad was like tienes que trabajar And my dad is a truck driver. Um, He's been a truck driver for a long time and he had me working in the warehouse unloading the shipments from the containers. I was driving forklifts. Fun fact, I don't know how to drive a forklift. And I was up in there like doing the stuff. But I knew like the work hours were hella fucked up. They were exploiting workers. And of course, yo siendo la psicona que soy, I almost was about to be like, y'all, what like are doing is, um, you know, uh, illegal. Workers rights. Workers union, rights. we about to start strike up in right, this. Right, right, right. And I had to actually not say anything because my father worked there. Mm. And then the consequences of my words were then going to affect the income in my family so i didn't say anything but i say you're conscious about that yeah and so then i left and and i remember my dad being pissed and being like well what the hell are you doing with your life and i was like dude i have to like go i'm going to grad school i know that but that requires like it's not just because i was born here right like i think a lot of times immigrant parents believe that because we're born here we have our citizenship across our head our forehead and it's like no girl and on top of that i'm queer and brown like (laughs) that's no and so I ended up going to grad school and did that. And now and now that I'm older, that I'm able to have a career as a planner and also as an artist, um, I get to, I'm a firm believer of el dicho que dice el que ríe de último ríe mejor. And I, I always say that I'm looking for that last laugh. Yes. Always. And so with my parents now, anytime I do it like a little gig or something, I give my parents money. And I remember one time I took them all out to eat and my dad was like, where did you get this money? And I was like, you know, the one thing you didn't want me to do to be queer and to be a fucking artist? Well, that paid for your meal. Mm. That was my last laugh. And siempre busco esa última risa. So uh-huh. I think with my father, he knows that I'm queer and I know that he knows that I know I'm queer but we don't talk about it and that's okay because I don't need his validation mm. you know I'm just living my life and it's like you, you asked me to show up yeah. and I'm gonna show up pero a mi manera y si no te gusta pues ahí está la puerta do you think that your father sending you on all those bus rides since you were a kid trying to emasculate you ultimately led you to the urban planner that you are now most definitely I think if there's anything that my dad and I had in common is that we loved we loved maps and we loved navigating and we loved I mean my dad it would always my dad taught me how to use a Thomas guide oh wow Uh, and so I know how to use a Thomas guide because the way back I don't even know how to drive a fucking right yeah and, and so, you know, my dad taught me all those things and my dad would always be dope to like, be like, oh, vas a llegar a, oh, donde tienes que ir, right? And be like, ah, mira, aquí, te vas por acá, te vas por acá. And then I had to use the bus routes and figure mm. it out. So I think my dad and my dad and I had that in common. And we'll also stay as, I feel like I'm characterizing my dad as fucked up. And I mean, they're all fucked up. Um, Aren't all Latino parents. <laughs> we have to break, <laughs> deconstruct that trauma, right? But I think also my dad nunca me negó un libro. Mm. Mm, my dad never, there was a moment, I think my junior year of high school, 
school where, you know, he would give me like 30 bucks every other, like, cada quincena. And I would go to the Grove and buy a book and a coffee and just sit down and read. And so I had a lot of books in, in, in high school. Um, and that was my escape. But to your question, I do think so. I think that experience, I think also growing up on the bus and seeing the things that I saw on the bus, the people, the wild stuff, the good stuff, the the camaraderie, all of the different things definitely led me to become an urban planner now. From dance all the way in Minnesota, how was that perceived by your parents? Because you are, <laughs> as we've mentioned, the Messiah for as a firstborn. Yeah. And, oye, nos tienes que sacar de pobre, nos tienes que mantener y te vas sí. a ir a estudiar dance. When I left, I said I wanted to be a theater major. Claro. So, porque pues obviamente no me dejaron ir al CEA. So, I was <laughs> like, it was super easy for me. Like, I'm going to major in theater when I'm in college. And I remember having a whole ass family reunion. And I've shared this before. And a lot of my cousins were engineers cops etc they're like your parents immigrated all this way just so you can do theater like do you hear yourself the person who laughs at the end laughs the best yeah no exactly i mean same thing i had an experience last year where i did a campaign with spotify for latinx heritage month for aquí siempre and my my picture, my portrait ended up in Times Square. Hey. And I was a billboard in Times Square for six weeks. And beautiful. Um that I mean that was wild. That's a that's did a whole other moment. York? I did, but I okay, so okay, let me tell this story. But because it was by accident. <laughs> <laughs> so I had done the I did the photo shoot with Spotify. Um and I'm sure you know this, mm -hmm. like, you know, they didn't tell me at that time what the selection process was going to be for the final campaign. It was just like a bunch of talent that was selected and a bunch of us took images, but we never knew what the final assets were going to look like. I have a really good friend um, that I've known now for about 12 years, like one of my best friends who is from New York. And sometimes I go and visit him. And so I was going to go and visit him. And that's what it was. And literally I have a group of friends also that we all met on clubhouse. Mm. Shout out to clubhouse. Me too. And it was supposed to be like the next popping thing. Right? right. It was just the pandemic. We just needed a, a hobby yeah. during the pandemic. Este, and so las desmadrosas. And I remember being like, yo, you know, we're communicating with my friend, Jessica Salgado and good mentor did the poem for the campaign and so mm. we were all kind of talking and people were like oh my god imagine if Nalgona ends up in Times Square and I was like don't say that y'all like legit I'm about to catch a flight to New York like uh -huh. that, that's that's a lot and and so at that time it was like so impossible that if it didn't happen I wouldn't be hurt because I'm like it's so impossible like what the fuck but my life had just been so wild leading up to that point that I'm like it it is it was just like this moment of like I don't know and so I'm in New York I'm doing my thing I'm working and then I get a notification on Instagram that said Spotify tagged you in a post and I was like wait what what's going on mm. and then I look at the asset and I'm on, on the reel and I'm like oh my god I made it to the final campaign someone who was also in the campaign shared a story from one of their DMs and the DM literally read girl I was at the gym and I saw you in the background of Good Morning America now the background of Good Morning America yeah. is Times Square 
Square. Yeah, of course. And I was like, oh my God, we're in Times Square. We're in Times Square. So I took my friend Ted and we ended up going to Times Square. At that point, Beyonce had just launched her Tiffany campaign. And oh. of course, being who she is, she bought all of the screens. And I was like, pinche queen be like, let yeah. the princess at least have a moment. <laughs> and so I thought it was one of those things because I didn't know how the airtime works. Yeah. So I thought it was like one of those things that I was like, maybe it was a one-time thing and it's mm. not going to happen anymore. So I ended up going to a bar with my friend and we're just talking and just kind of like, you know, hanging out. We come back uh, a couple of hours later to take the train back home and the screens had all changed. Yeah, like, B, where'd you go? And I was like, wait, wait, this, it might be here. It might be here. Yeah, we were walking home, but we ain't missing this. Right, right, right. And so I'm looking around and I'm looking around. And then all of a sudden, I'm like standing in front of the big one where the ball drops, like yeah. the main the main one. And then I, I see the first comes up Caliucci. And I'm like, oh, that's the campaign. That's the campaign. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then, boom, my face pops up. And How when I was tell, that moment? I, uh, I dropped to my knees. And I was, I, it, I, it was a lot of excitement. I was speechless. I literally was there for 45 minutes with two other friends and every time I just kept coming through it was just this moment of nostalgia and processing I really really broke down and felt what I felt when I called my mom and I told her and I was like mom I, I made it to Times Square she was like chingamos to Times Square I was like mami donde cae la bolita donde cae la bolita señora el show de Don Francisco for sure for the, for the new years and my mom was like oh my god felicidades and she kind of got watery and then I sobbed I became a child um, yeah. funny how mothers can do that to us you yeah. know oh of um, course and so I, I think that's where I processed everything. That's at when that you moment. started. Uh, did you did you feel a sense of healing? Just because I have always said that tears is weakness leaving the body. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, so, so I process a lot, and I'm a, such a huge advocate of crying. So yeah. I can only imagine if I were to see myself in Times Square, it would be like all the work and sacrifice, todo lo que le echado ganas a la vida. It's like yeah. leads up to this moment in time that is going to propel more moments and more healing in the future yeah most definitely i think also on on top of that i had lived in new york in 2013 and and all over the place i'm jealous i it's been it's been a life um which i'm grateful for um but i think in in 2013 what ended up happening is it was the worst year of my life Mm. it was like rock bottom like i was in a relationship i was engaged that it didn't work out and we were projecting our own sort of unhealthy patterns onto each other um i did i was doing something called city year and and we weren't getting paid getting paid enough with my convictions siempre sido sí. and it always gets me in trouble but at least i've been consistent yeah. <laughs> and so then i ended up like you know leaving the job without having something lined up so i was legit couch surfing and i, I remember at one point specifically the winter was coming through i was a sunday school teacher at a church called new day church shout out to new day church um and it was like I was getting paid like seventy five dollars a week for, and it was like in New York, in New York, and Ugh. couch surfing. So I wasn't paying rent, but then I had to also get like food stamps, and that was my contribution to the the, the place where I was staying mm-hmm. at, right? And I remember there was this one winter where um, I had, I mean, well, the winter that I was there had to choose between do I buy a metro pass for the week to try to move around and get you know and network or do what i have to do to you know get out of the survive, situation yeah. survive um or do i buy some cheap ass timberlands to keep my feet dry 
and I had to choose the Metro Pass. And so I just remember kind of like always having wet socks that winter. And I think after that year, I always just associated New York with trauma. And Mm. every time I kept going, something kind of happened that led to like more moments of healing and more, more, more places and opportunities and you know i was doing a little bit better i remember one trip i went and it was raining and i just remember that i had the opportunity to be like well fuck it's raining let me go buy some rain boots and to buy some rain boots right without thinking about it right and then i was like oh shit this is not the winter that i lived in 2013 so to come back eight years later and to see myself in Times Square was a big slap in the face to New York. Like, yeah. You tried me. You tried me. You, I, I learned some stuff. And I came back eight years later. Look at me now, city. Look yeah. at me now. Yeah. You couldn't you want me. me. Now you got to see me. Exactly. You <laughs> didn't want me here. Well, look, now I'm going to be here. <laughs> and so now I definitely, I think I associate New York and there's with less trauma and totally fine. But definitely... So much healing, so much opportunity. My mom still calls my work as an artist a, um, a hobby. <laughs> Are you sure? And, 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 you know, I had a conversation with my parents, and I feel like for my parents, they they would like me to buy buy a home. And, mm. and I think it's a lot of, it's very real. Um, and I had a conversation with my parents not too long ago where I was like, look, I'm down. I- I'll do it. But I also need you to know that I might actually buy you a home as an artist before I will ever do it as a planner. Mm. And you need to be okay with that because it's my art and this this thing you call a hobby that is literally giving me so many opportunities yeah. and so many things like, you know, I have a book out that I wrote in 2020, a book of poems. Like that shit wasn't easy. Yes. And and so all these different things. And so definitely I think that my my art has been such a conduit for healing. That is a beautiful... Oh, wow. I, I don't even know where to start. But one, <laughs> congratulations. You, Two, I am so like in awe. Of course, I read your bio and then now you talking about all this. I'm like, ¿Quién chingados tengo enfrente? Sí. A ver, deja agarros autógrafo ahorita. <laughs> Porque va, va a costar mucho. <laughs> yeah. no, the next time I want to have them on the podcast. No, no, next no, time no. I want to have they on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sí, va a costar un montón. No, pero, no, no, no. Uh, te iba a preguntar, what led you to get your msw and how'd you end up in urban planning and how do you oh what's your day-to-day activities now (laughs) it's the so i think again because i had come back from this organizing uh background and not only with the bus riders union but a lot around marriage equality um and just coming from that place to me what made sense was the msw or being a social worker was like a way to professionalize my activism Mm. so to your earlier question about how was it with dance i mean i would tell my parents that i was a double major (laughs) that i was a double major in dance because it was always like me contaron que solo estás estudiando danza and I'd be like, ¿Quién te contó? O sea, like, there's nobody from my family. Like, I left yeah. to Minnesota, bitch. Like, I left to the to the Antarctica, basically. <laughs> and so, but it was every time I preguntaba, I know, mami, estoy sacando doble bachillerato, no? Uh-huh. Like, do a, do a degree or do a master. I mean, um, I, a double major uh-huh. in dance and social work, right? That I, being a social worker was a way to professionalize my activism. And so I went to grad school. I went to USC for the MSW. And I think my first year, I thought I was going to go into the MSW to like change social welfare Mm. and talk about how just change the system. I'm always talking about changing the system. Um, And then I realized that that wasn't necessarily the space to do it. Mm. 
And again, I had this background in, in like organizing. So I wanted a little bit more of political analysis and policy analysis. So I ended up taking the certificate. I meet with the professor named Lisa Schweitzer, super dope. And shout out to Lisa. And we're just talking. I had heard her do a, a conversation about diversity and i was like what does this white lady know about diversity you know mm. always being sus i'm always sus and I still would, i am I question a white person too and still i am and still i am and then i get in trouble for it um oh, off the record there you go um el chisme pero so we have this conversation and i'm talking to her and i was like i come from the bus riders union this is all i know whatever whatever and then she's like girl you're an urban planner and i was like what and literally title right and i was like what and literally after like i get home after that conversation and she had sent out an email to like admissions and the department chair and was like this is jose richard they're about to become a dual degree in social work and urban planning so make this happen and so i was like oh okay i'm about to get a, another degree and the thing is like i had i had hustled um enough to have the credits <laughs> Sorta. I had hustled enough to get like about eighty percent of my MSW paid for. Mm. So I was like, if I'm going to take, yeah, and I'm like, if I'm going to take another master's, it has to be very strategic and very calculated. And me va a costar lo que I got a bogo, you know, I got buy one get one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so what ended up happening? Yeah, there was one semester where I took way too many credits. I got a D in one class, but (gasps) the professor was out to get me. I I firmly believe it. Mm. Um. And it, it was, I was overloaded. I took the GRE while I was in grad school. It was a hot ass mess. And somehow, I mean, I, I mean, not somehow, but I got into the program and then became an urban planner or took an urban planning, uh, added the urban planning degree. And so my first year was all social work. My second year was half social work, half urban planning. Wow. And then my last year was all urban planning. And so, and for me, I, I wrote an article. We have something called the APA, which is the American Planners Association. And I wrote an article for them called Planners as Therapist Cities as Clients, where I basically was like, I mean, I, I'm a social worker and I show up still to this day in my day to day as a social worker with that mentality, with that pedagogy, with that way of looking at things. But I function within urban planning. So rather than having individuals as my client, the city is my client. And so I, I, I found an opportunity and there's not too many of us who are yeah. work at the intersection of social work and urban planning so i've become like a niche expert in the field um so to to answer your question about the day-to-day i currently work for a place called the other and belonging institute at uc berkeley shout out to obi <laughs> i'm just laughing that i usually don't represent like the or not that i don't represent i don't talk about the places that i work yeah. at because i compartmentalize like yeah. who i am as nalgona is different of who i am as an urban planner but i love the institute and love the people that i work with so definitely shout out to obi um and i work on equity and transportation planning so the lived experience of being a bus rider kind of threw me into transportation Um, and so what I get to do basically I work with uh, different agencies across the state of California we talk about what equity strategies look like for transportation and I provide recommendations and stuff like that and at the same time, it's been interesting because I've been managing two careers. I know. And and I'm a Capricorn. So I need to be the greatest uh-huh. in everything that I do. I walk a fine line between, well, not a walk a fine line, but I, I always try. I'm very ambitious, but I'm also mindful that my ambition doesn't turn into greed. 
because that doesn't help anybody. So, I mean, as an urban planner, I've had the opportunity to be, you know, a keynote speaker at conferences, mm. to give workshops. People come to me as a thought leader. I currently sit on a committee with an APA um, to talk about the future of the field. I'm working on a little project right now with some students. Um, you know, I'm asked to be a mentor and a coach for this fellowship for mid-career planners. Wow. And I'm like, dude, I've only been in the field for two years. Hey. <laughs> I'm like, this is a this is a fellowship for mid career planners uh-huh. and I'm early career and it's hilarious. Uh, I was a professor last year at UCLA. I was um, gonna say yeah. you were also a professor at UCR. I mean at Redlands. At Redlands, también at University of Redlands. Oh yeah, in an empire. Yeah. Yes, hija de la chingada. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Se sabe. Aquí una enseñando de construyendo el binario. Sí, exacto, exacto. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, it's 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 uh, fascinating. I love what I do as a planner. Don't get me wrong. I love this because we get to see a glimpse of what you do in your Instagram, Nalgona. Where does Nalgona? ¿De dónde nace? ¿De dónde nace? <laughs> pues yo nací con ella. No, no es cierto. Este, pues I had a friend in high school, um, my friend Veronica, who would always call me Miss Thick. Just be like, damn, you Miss Thick, you know, because I'm a, a thicker body, you know, and just me like with the queerness and all attached to it. She would always call me Miss Thick. And so when I first opened Instagram back in the day, back in the mid mid 2000s, I uh, um had to open up the account under Miss Thick, and then it was kind of like, okay, cool. Let me then uh, translate this to Spanish. And I was like, the translation is Doña Gruesa. I'm like, that is not cute at all. Uh-huh. So somehow, soy nalgona just kind of came uh, in the translation but now i mean it became a thing and people call me nalgona and it's like hilarious and of course that would never trademark nalgona because uh-huh, i'm like course. all of us no i mean porque it's because listen and you know this in the game of social media people play games mm-hmm. if i ever trademark anything it'd be soy nalgona because it's just it's the name itself yeah. and on lowercase everything and it's a very particular semantic that you would trademark but no i would never do such a thing and all the contracts that I engage in are not under Nalgona they're all under Jose Richard Aviles I mm. make a very clear distinction about what it is that I do as an artist versus what I do as an entertainer mm-hmm. because those are two different things and the entertainer gives me additional income to invest and produce my art so then I don't have to depend on foundations or grants I just get to produce it okay. um so that's how Nalgona came to be. And Nalgona, I mean, Monday the Movimiento is something I've been doing now for four years. Uh, and it's always like a whole different different approaches to it, to it. And I've changed it and I've done it differently. I think when Reels came out, it was like, okay, let me not yes. do videos. Switch <laughs> over to the Reels. And now there's an opportunity to add all these little prompts and stuff. So one of the ones that I just did was about um, novela theme songs. And people really loved it with Soñadoras, of course. Uh, I love- need to have you on con the stage. Sí, 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 qué fuerte. Y yo de que ah, fangirl. But I fangirl for like five seconds. Because uh-huh. <laughs> um, we're all people and we should treat each other as people. Pero este, so now I'm going to do something called Money de Novelas and just do the theme songs to novelas and add some trivia about the novelas to see if people can guess it. Because uh-huh. um, there's so many dope I'm novelas. Tune in, and, and so 
became that and then I do a little bit of now you know um, I'm doing a new series now called Urban Planning in Espanol where I just talk about some of the things that I know and do as an urban planner but in Espanol because a lot of our community needs to know and there's a lot of urgency around the things that happen in urban planning we as urban planners have a lot of power mm-hmm. but have been conditioned to think that we don't have power and not to question the power mm-hmm. and that's not that's not the case that's you know I'm always fighting somebody yeah final question yeah what was a pivotal moment in your life donde le echaste ganas para ser la persona que eres? You're trying to pinpoint, you're like, there's so many. Yeah, but you know what? And, and, and I, my art career mm. as a whole over the last seven years because nobody, ta- nobody has taught me how to do this. I've had mentorship along the way. I've had community people, community members. I mean, I've talked about uh, Jessica Salgado as a friend and a mentor. And Jessica is one of the many people in my life who have been like, a ver, Nalgona. You're doing this. This is good. Try this. And, and, and do something else. Another friend of mine, Marina Magalhães, she's, she's amazing. And I think she, become, she became the definition of what a mentor looks like mm-hmm. because she is someone who has been able to recognize my growth and present me with challenges that meet me at that level. So, for example, when I was kind of, you know, starting to teach and Marina was doing um, some classes, she needed to, she needed a sub mm-hmm. and she asked me to sub and I was like, oh shit, okay. Then I was performing and touring a little bit and then she put on a festival and she was like, perform in the festival. And then it was like, on top of that, um, I was also producing my own shit. And so then she started a, you know, a collective and she was like, be in the collective. So I think of good mentors being people who recognize the level of your growth and present you with challenges to that level. And so, yeah, I think it was, it's always been my art career. I am producer. I am director. I am publicist. I am manager. I am booking agent. I am lawyer. And, 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 and I've had to learn so many of these things, right? Like the business side of art, I've had to learn about. Now, I think in the phase that I am with my career is thinking a lot about ownership. Like who owns my art um, is very important now. And to think about like, okay, what I create for Nalgona is going to be owned by something that it's not me. But I want to ensure that the work that I produce as Jose Richard Aviles is something that I own, right? So when it comes to licensing, the creative license for the, for example, the book, um, I, I own the creative license rights to the book, yes. right? I can I can't publish it as a book again, but I can turn that into a one person show. I can turn that into a series. I can to- turn it into a movie, a podcast, uh, so many other different things. And so I feel like it's always been my art career donde le tengo que echar ganas because siempre there's something new like you mentioned right with Times Square that was like a contract that I had to that I my first big campaign for a brand of sorts and and being like oh okay this is a new world right now I'm I'm in conversations about some other projects and it's like oh okay you know antes I think especially on social media I used to post uh, about the process and then I realized that not everyone has the your uh, best intention in mind mm. and so I was like let me not tell people what I'm up to you won't know when it <laughs> drops you know what I mean and and having to be that one of my friend Nachos always says you have to be accessible but not attainable mm. and I'm like what the fuck and I love it right yeah. um, so I will say my art and it's constantly teaching me things and yeah. I'm learning new things and I get to have conversations with you and, and other people. And, and, uh, you know, I have a podcast now, Fruta Fresca and go listen to Fruta Fresca on where everywhere uh, 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 podcasts are heard. Yeah. Um, but, and that's been a fun project. I, yeah. you know, 
I'm a performer. I come from the stage. I know how to relate to audience on the stage. And now I've had to learn to relate to audience with the microphone because somebody's listening and I'm still in conversation with somebody. And so that's been something new. And again, learning and the producing stage management. I've managed um, stage managed for Las Cafeteras. I love love Las Cafeteras. Shout out to them. Um, and again, again, community, right? Like my friend Denise, who's one of the lead vocalists, um, saw that I was doing and producing and was like, Yo, Nalgona, would you be down to stage managers? And I was like, oh, for sure. And it was like something that was so natural. Um, so, yeah, like the last thing I'll share is I know I've reconciled with this now that there's going to be a moment in my life where I'm going to reach a crossroads where I'm going to have to choose between being an urban planner and being an artist and i know that i will always choose being an artist wow that is beautiful i'm glad that is the decision that you're making where can people find you see este pues mira estamos aquí este en the instagrams y los tiktoks este arroba suinalgona have the podcast fruta fresca y también me encuentran ahí en la esquina (laughs) 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 que fuerte no no es cierto si muchísimas gracias suinalgona richard jose richard aviles por este por este tiempo más que nada gracias a ti por tenerme i love it Till next time, everybody. Gracias por escuchar Echale Podcast. If you made it this far, I ask of you one thing. If this podcast made you think, reflect, or enter an existential crisis, then share it with me on social media. Nothing would make me happier than knowing that these stories had a real impact. Nos vemos el próximo martes with more stories and más chisme. This was Echale Podcast.